1: Welcome to Festival Nation on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Here's your host, Marla Davies.
2: Hey now, it's Marla Davies for Festival Nation, where we celebrate the magical world of music festivals. And while we're going through some strange days, indeed, and we can't gather large groups to listen to live music together, we are still celebrating here on Festival Nation. In upcoming episodes, we'll revisit some of your favorite festivals from the past, including Desert Trip, Lollapalooza, The Vans Warped Tour, Coachella, Lockin', The Us Festival, and Day on the Green, and I'm sure we'll feature a few more too. If you have any ideas, any favorite festivals, let me know about it. You can just contact me on social, or you can shoot me an email at festivalnationpodcast@gmail.com, at or find me on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Festival Nation teamed up with the Skull and Roses Festival celebrating the music and community of the Grateful Dead, which would have been at the Ventura County Fairgrounds the first weekend of April. It was one of the first festivals to cancel for 2020, and we were planning to do a live podcast on site and helping to promote the festival too, giving away tickets as well. The festival canceled before I had a chance to air some of the amazing interviews I did. So we're going to bring you those interviews. I did an interview with O.T.O. Burbridge from Dead & Company, Elvin Seals of the JGB band and rock and roll photographer Jay Blakesburg will be releasing those interviews soon on Festival Nation. And we're also hoping with all our hearts to go see Skull and Roses in 2021. And we've seen concert seasons put on hold for 2020 and artists rescheduling until later dates. We've also seen some amazing shows streamed online and musicians rallying on Zoom. During this pandemic, I had a chance to interview Maria Maldar. I would have loved to drive up to her place in Marin County and meet her in person and chat with her. But due to shelter in place, we had to do the interview over the phone. It would have been nice to even catch a show at Sweetwater in Mill Valley because she's working with the Garcia Project. And they like to do some dates here and there. And that's always fun to see live music. Coming up, you'll hear from Maria Maldar, the Grammy-nominated artist of the 1974 hit single Midnight at the Oasis, and her latest project with the Garcia project called Spirit. It's a loving tribute to Jerry Garcia and the spiritual songs he performed. We'll hear some tracks from the latest release and talk to Maria about her early days as a singer in Jerry Garcia's band. And she'll share some stories of her whirlwind career of some 50 years as a recording artist. I don't know about you, but I love free. Free is good. That's the hippie love thing, right? Like free love, free this, free stuff. Free stuff is awesome. And free stuff to spice up your bedroom even better. Select almost any item. Any one item for 50% off when you go to adamandeve.com. And they love to load in the free stuff too. All you need to do to get the deal is enter the code FEST, F-E-S-T, at the checkout, and you can get 10 tantalizing free gifts. A sexy one for him, a special gift for her, and a third item that everybody will love. And six free spicy movies, too. Plus, free shipping. So much free at adamandeve.com. All you need to do, adamandeve.com and put fest, F-E-S-T. And when you get to checkout, for that 50% off almost every item, get tons of free stuff, too, and receive free shipping. It's adamandeve.com. Have fun.
1: Festival Nation, celebrating the magical world of music festivals
2: very excited to welcome Maria Maldar, one of the original Jerryettes of the Jerry Garcia Band. In 1974, she was nominated for a Grammy for her hit single, Midnight at the Oasis. And she was on the cover of the Rolling Stone, the Rolling Stone magazine. Maria is the producer of the latest release of the Garcia project called Spirit, a loving tribute to Jerry Garcia and the spiritual songs he performed. Please welcome Maria Muldar. Hi there. Hi there. Well, I said you're my alter ego because whenever I go to Starbucks, uh, I always order my coffee and I, they say, who's it for? I say, Marla. And they go, okay, Maria. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, well, as long as they get your order right, huh? As long as
2: they get the grande non-fat latte, then I'm I'm feeling pretty good. Maria joined the Garcia Project featuring Kat Walkerson and Mick Bondi to produce Spirit. She says she was approached by the group to sing with them while they were touring in Northern California, and at first, she wasn't
3: sure. I was a little dubious because, you know, tribute bands can be kind of corny, right? I Yeah, but, I think uh- so. But um, I, I just thought I remember those wonderful songs and the wonderful days of singing with Jerry. So I did one rehearsal with them, and I right away saw what reverence and dedication and love they had for Jerry and his music, and that they were really all about channeling that same spirit that he put out when he played. So I did a few gigs with them and really enjoyed it. And after about, well, last year... Just about this time, they approached me and said, we want to do an album paying tribute to Jerry and we'd like you to produce it. And the idea they had was uh, to do an album, they already had the title and everything it was called. They wanted to call it Spirit and they wanted especially to highlight all the spiritually themed songs that Jerry Garcia had recorded and or performed and in some cases even wrote. Um, over the course of his career. So I loved that idea because I'm a huge gospel music fan and in fact, I'm a gospel music singer. And um, so I'm all about that theme. And uh, I also started thinking back and realized that some of those songs were among my favorites of what Jerry did. So I uh, happily signed on to the project.
2: Maria first sang with Jerry Garcia in the early 1970s in the Jerry Garcia Band, and then was an official member of the Garcia Band from 1977 to 1979. She and Jerry had a common bond in their love of gospel music, and of course, Jerry's roots go back to bluegrass.
3: People who are big Jerry fans know, Jerry started out playing bluegrass music. Oh, absolutely. Chris Lev and so at at a certain point he had a band called Olden in the Way that had uh uh, David Grisman, whom I was in a band with when we were both 18 but that's a whole other story. Right. David Grisman on Mandolin, the illustrious Vassar Clemens on fiddle uh, singer and performer uh, Peter Rowan and my boyfriend at the time the love of my life John Kahn who played bass and was also Jerry Garcia's musical director and produced all of Jerry's uh, solo albums so uh, anyway so we did three songs from that era we did cold jordan uh drifting too far from the shore and throw out the lifeline and we got peter rowan to sing them because no one has a more beautiful bluegrass voice than peter rowan and he did a fabulous job well the harmonies
2: are so beautiful i you know i was playing it uh the other day and my husband walks in he goes that's really nice music hon. and i was like yeah this is the maria maldar project you're producing this the garcia project with all these wonderful musicians and the harmonies are beautiful and the musicianship is just wonderful as well
3: thank you so much well we all put our all our love and dedication into it and i love singing bluegrass harmonies now, a lot of people don't know this but as i had mentioned earlier uh Back in the early 60s, I was in a bluegrass band. I was the lead singer in a bluegrass band with David Grisman and a couple of other uh, bluegrass musicians who went on to fame and fortune. Uh, and it was called Maria and the Washington Square Ramblers. So, wow. uh, yeah, so uh, my love of bluegrass goes way back. And I also love singing with Peter Rowan. We, we were kind of like... Uh, we have a really good blend and an affinity for singing with each other. And of course, Kat, they all added some harmonies and and the songs just have beautiful messages. And so, uh, well, I'm glad you enjoy them.
2: absolutely. You know, I was feeling a little dreary today, just this whole pandemic thing. And you know, oh, up yeah. and down. And I just listening to that music, got a little gospel music. and just the spiritual music of Jerry Garcia always. Uh, is uplifting. I mean, I'm a deadhead so I love Jerry and it's just so so wonderful. You were a Jerry Ed, one of the early Jerry in and Jerry's one of the band.
3: First, yes.
2: And Donna Jean, so you it, what a sisterhood between you two girls.
3: Yes, absolutely. Well, the how I got in, in uh, connected to the whole Jerry Garcia and Dead Scene was that um, right around the time of Midnight at the Oasis, which was, you know, my biggest and most well-known hit, which uh, came out in 1974 and, and um, you know, was nominated for two Grammys and all that stuff, put me on the cover of Rolling Stone and, you know, drastically changed my life from that of being a young hippie mama kind of folksy roots music singer to you know, suddenly being very well known. Well, at that time I, um, uh, connected with John Kahn because I had to do several TV shows, some very important big TV shows. And he was an excellent, excellent bass player. So we, uh, got together to do those shows and, and shortly thereafter fell madly in love. And before I knew it, I had moved up to the San Francisco Bay area to be with John. And, um, Actually, when we first met, John was just producing Jerry's very first solo album and asked me to come sit, um, sing backup, sing harmony on several of the tracks. So that was my first time singing with Jerry um, in the studio. That was in 1974. And then after I actually moved up here, um, I would go to a lot of the Garcia band gigs whenever possible, whenever I wasn't, you know, doing my own musical thing. And uh, they had a great... Well, the band was just so cool. It was John Conn on bass, who was just such a soulful, funky bass player and just wonderful all-around musician. And and Ron Tut on drums. Ron Tutt, for those who don't know, was Elvis's drummer for 25 years and also his musical director. So they nice. just they were a, a rhythm section made in heaven. And I used to love to go s- jump on stage with my tambourine when they were doing. Uh, mystery train and just play and just play tambourine with them I mean, it was 20 minute long song so right it was really good for my biceps to do that
2: <laughs> but <laughs> well that's but, really that's very cool I mean so you were you know basically one of the like an early I don't know if you'd call yourself a deadhead or do you call yourself a deadhead
3: but no, I don't call myself a deadhead. I, I, I appreciate what the Grateful Dead do, but I was also much the to Jerry's, the other side of Jerry's musical odyssey and exploration and how how it worked was he, he was very busy with the Grateful Dead but really wanted to pursue these other musical, uh, you know, adventures and Mm -hmm. he and and so he totally had total trust and faith in john who was very musically knowledgeable and had a huge record collection so a lot of the songs you hear jerry end up doing in the garcia band were songs that john found he had a vast r&b collection and the both of us had big gospel uh Collections, and that's how some of these songs came to Jerry. Uh, In particular, Sisters and Brothers, which was an old sensational Nightingale. They're they're an old, old style African American gospel quartet, and um, so it's interesting though that these, so many of these kind of songs appealed to Jerry because people don't think of him as a particularly religious person and he wasn't religious but he obviously had a very deep spiritual core which you can hear just in the way he approaches playing music which is a very egoless place he comes from a very egoless place when he's playing Jerry's playing is never about you know stepping up and saying watch me play all these dazzling licks for you guys you know now i'm really going to play a fast riff or anything like that he was never showing off or wanting personal glory when he played he would he would just start doing a solo and he would kind of sort of almost fumble around sometimes and just he would just like sort of lay low and then wait for the music to inhabit him and 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 tell him what it wanted to do or where it wanted to go and that's how he built his solos it was kind of like a very natural organic Stairway to heaven that ended up taking everybody with him. i I remarked i I, I found it remarkable when I was uh, on stage with him singing harmonies that he'd do a solo that didn't seem particularly remarkable or dazzling, you know, as it started. And then, as he went along at a certain point, and it wasn't even because he then played a real fancy set of licks or anything but all at once the entire audience would just almost levitate and erupt into yeah. this joy and this sort of communal bliss together you know and it was uh, yes it, it was it was really remarkable and um so when i when I play live with the Garcia project, they they actually are quite good at because they they've obviously studied this too, and uh, Nick Bondi, the guitar player and lead singer in the band he he said when he was growing up and he first, you know, fell in love with Jerry and his music, he and his friends used to call it, hey, you know, when they want to go to a Jerry gig, they say, let's go to Jerry's church. So, yes. they, mm-hmm. they, people got, even though there was no kind of religious trappings around the whole event, people got that it was some kind of communal spiritual event, and to me that's the whole purpose of music, so... That's Absolutely.
2: Right. And then as a, for me, as a person that went to see hundreds and hundreds of grateful dead shows, I always felt it was like the church of the grateful dead It with Jerry at the lead, you know, just, yes. and you're right about the ego list. He, he wasn't that, you know what I mean? And he, it was yes. kind of like they were the vehicle that the music came through and we all shared it. It was very, yes. a, a very hippie spirit, like a sharing spirit. Right. So yes, yes. It elevated you, it elevated you. And I always felt like I came out of there like, I just had been through church, kind of, and I felt a little bit, you know, I had reflection. I felt like uh, I was a better person, or at least I wanted to be,
3: and just all the good. I felt like a better stuff. person. Yes. Yeah, good stuff. A, all the good stuff. Yeah, and, and and so to do this project where it's a distillation of the most spiritually themed songs, or at least T- 10 or 12 of them, however many there are more but it was hard to choose but each song uh, that that he chose or that he wrote has a particular and a slightly different spiritual message that's always good to hear. You can't hear these messages enough. but during right. this dark time, even before the pandemic, let's face it, these have, this last few years have been some pretty dark, times for people and uh it's been very very challenging and and um and 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 a lot of people have lost their moral compass and their and their spiritual direction just because just because of factors in in life as we know it right now in america especially so so uh you've seen a lot
2: maria because you mean you grew up in the 60s in this scene and in the total hubbub of the hippie scene you grew up in you know we're born in greenwich village so that whole new york scene and now yeah i mean we're as we're going through all this stuff that's even before the pandemic and now with the pandemic i feel like it's such a strange time don't you i mean People are not even looking at each other. I mean, people don't want to make eye contact. Everyone's running around with masks on. It's
3: well, just, there's no what? mask over our eyes. I always make eye contact. Up here in Marin, we're making a lot of eye contact and we're smiling. And then we go, oh, but they can't see my smile under the mask. Yeah. But they can see your, the twinkle in your eye. Yes. But you know, this is just almost the last straw. Uh, after three and a half years, I won't even mention the name of the entity that has darkened the landscape with his presence. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and and, it, and it, even people like myself, who try to be who who am very spiritual and and try to be positive and try to always find the uplifting, Thought to think and thing to say, uh, it's been it's been daunting to say the least. And then the the pandemic has just added another thing to it. But I think people are this is a time of reflection, a time of going inward and. People are really starting to examine. You know, maybe there's a different, better way to live. And so I think that we were so disappointed when the uh, we were about to do several uh, CD release gigs and really present these, you know, the album to people to to the fans. And then right before we had a couple of gigs, they they did this put the shelter in place rules yes. into effect. And we were so devastated. And uh, Kat and, and, and Mick were just just really devastated. And I, I said, you know, this seems like a challenge, but this is it. these songs were meant to come out and that we had had all these delays with putting out the album. So it, it it should have come out a month or two earlier. That was our original. But, you know, God has his own timetable. That's what I always That's say. That's true. And, and, I, and so I told them, you know, now people are going to be shut in and they're going to really need something to spiritually uplift them. And if we can get the album out over the internet, online, over the radio, over a podcast like yours or whatever, I think these songs are really gonna talk to people and um, speak to their hearts and really uplift them. Cause I'm glad to hear you put it on this morning and it did that for you. So we must've been doing something right.
2: Let's hear Cole Jordan from the Garcia project. The Grateful Dead played this song much during the 1970s, mostly during acoustic sets and usually with members of New Riders of the Purple Sage. You can find a recording of Cold Jordan on Dick's Picks Volume 8 from May 2nd, 1970, recorded at Harper College, Binghamton, New York. Here's the Garcia Project version from Spirit of Cold Jordan.
1: Oh, sinner, as you tread a life's journey Take Jesus for your guide. Though you may feel pure and saintly Without him walking by your side But when you come to make the crossing At the ending of your pilgrim's way If you ever need your Savior You will surely need him on that day
0: Oh, look at that cold
1: Cold Jordan
0: Look at that Deep water, look at that wide river, to hear the mighty
1: billows roll. Jesus with you, he's a true companion of one. sure without him, you never will make it home. Judgment is coming in the by and by. We'll see our Lord descending from glory way on high. Oh, let us keep in touch with Jesus and the special love of God that we may be called
0: ready when He calls us over Jordan's time.
4: Oh, look at that
0: cold, cold Jordan. Look at that deep, deep water wide river to hear the mighty billows roll you take Jesus with you He's a true companion oh I'm, I'm sure without him you're never gonna make it home what you gonna do what you gonna say oh how you gonna feel Come to the end of the way.
2: We're talking with Maria Maldar, producer and singer on the Garcia Project Spirit, which just came out. If you'd like to order a copy, just check out thegarciaproject.com. I asked Maria if she had a favorite cut. On the album,
3: well, of all the songs on the record, and I love them all. Listen to me calling it a record. How old school is that? (laughs) Well, Um, (laughs) actually, they are releasing it on vinyl, so there will be. Oh, nice. But um, anyway, I love them all. I really love "Sisters and Brothers," which they asked me to sing lead on. But I, my favorite song, maybe ever done by anybody is Gomorrah and Jerry Garcia wrote that song and it's, it's got a really deep message. It's, it, it tells the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his wife being told to, to flee the city because God was going to destroy it because everyone was wicked, but Mm -hmm. they were good. So God was giving them a warning and saying, when I send the angel, just, drop everything, don't take your belongings, just head out of Dodge, and don't look back. That's what he kept saying. The angel kept warning him, don't look back. So, uh, when the time came, and the city was being destroyed, they hightailed it out of there, and uh, Lot and his wife and daughters, And but as they, they were going to safety, and they were it, they were out of harm's way, but Lot's wife just couldn't resist looking back. You oh know? gosh, maybe, right. Maybe oh. it was, maybe she was going, Oh, all my friends are, oh my new patio furniture. Who knows what she was looking at? <laughs> she just and 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 then the Bible story says she was turned to a pillar of salt. And and it probably was a volcanic ash just engulfed her, and, and so she was just left like a statue at that point and Lot and the family had to go on without her well it's a really interesting I I always think of that message in that song and the fact that Jerry Garcia wrote this song based on that story and the message is when God gives you a way out of your troubles whether it's addiction or a bad relationship or a toxic work environment whatever it is just look straight ahead. Take the help you're being offered. Look straight ahead. Do not look back in regret or remorse. or Because that's when... Uh, I've had a lot of friends over the years, you can imagine being in the music business for over sure. 60 years, who who were addicts of various sorts, alcoholics, drug addicts, well, and so look forth.
2: At, look at Jerry, Maria. Well, that's
3: what, uh, the point I'm getting at. But I'm talking about Paul Butterfield, uh, Michael Bloomfield, Tim Harden, um, uh, Janis Joplin, just to name a few. And they actually managed to go through the whole... Exertion and effort and energy that it took to get clean and sober, to detox and get clean. But each one of them did something which, in the heroin world, is called shipping, which is like you're clean and sober, you think you've got it all handled, you're not craving it. And then someone comes along and just says, Hey, come on, let's just get high for old time's sake. And, the, and, they're, they're resolved and they their resolve weekends and they they look back fondly at all the fun they had when they were high mm-hmm. all the time and they they do it and that is every gut person I mentioned and so many more that's what killed them because they don't they um, You know, because they they get high and their body's not used to it anymore. And then they have an overdose. That's just Mm -hmm. one example of that principle, though. It's like once you once you're given a chance, God will deliver you. But then keep looking straight ahead and don't look back. Don't go back. You can't go back. You can't go home again. Yeah, exactly. You go on to a new opportunity, and I think it was interesting that it's like deep in his soul, Jerry Jerry must have gotten that message and been so attracted to it, he wrote a song, and one of the most beautiful songs ever, and the music is beautiful, and the harmonies, and so... um Anyway, that's our favorite song to do when we do it live and it might be my favorite cut on the on the album although I love them all. So let's play that one.
0: So
2: nation and i'm marla davies today we're talking with maria maldar who's been in the music business since the 1960s and has the stories to prove it more with maria maldar after this
1: festival nation celebrating the magical world of music festivals
2: It's Marla Davies from Festival Nation. And today we're with singer and producer Maria Maldar, who is currently supporting the Garcia Project and their latest release, Spirit, a loving tribute to Jerry Garcia and the spiritual songs he performed. She had her big breakthrough in the early 1970s with the hit single Midnight at the Oasis. And I asked her if the song was a blessing or a curse
3: how could it be a curse how could it possibly be a curse people ask me you know I put that song on as an afterthought as a favor to a young guitar player who was being very supportive as I went through the daunting and overwhelming process of making my first solo album because I had always been in various bands and my then now ex-husband had been the band leader. And so I didn't have to do that much thinking. I just had to sing. So being a solo artist wasn't something I was used to or even had really signed on for, but I took the opportunity that Warner brothers gave me. And um, so we added that song as an afterthought because the producer thought we needed a medium tempo song. And I wasn't that crazy about the song, but I, I suggested that David Nickturn play it for the producer. And he said, okay, that's cute. Let's do that. So just, we put we recorded it that afternoon. And as they say, the rest is history. Everybody, yes. the, uh, the, the, It came out as just one of the uh, cuts on an album. And it naturally rose like cream to the top of the DJ request list. And after several months, the DJs advised Warners that it, that it was the one getting the most requests. So it went on to, you know, get to number six on the charts, a couple of Grammy nominations, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, really launched me now. Here I am 46 years later, and I I'm just did my 41st album, which is... Uh, which was called don't you feel my leg and and uh which <laughs> i recorded that. in new i recorded in new orleans and was nominated for a grammy last year well, it's um, wonderful
2: that you were able you know you've been able to be a professional musician your whole life so it really was a gift like you were just talking yeah, about spiritual it was spiritual a gift
3: i'm about to do my 42nd album but what to 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 answer your question So there was this song, a go-figure, a goofy song about a camel. I'll never really understand it. But to this day, people still love to hear it and a lot of people that interview me say oh do you ever get tired of singing midnight at the oasis and i say hell no because <laughs> b- because that's what put me on the map i i had a very modest little under you know under the radar career as in the in the folk days with the jim quest and chug band did five recordings with them and toured all over and so forth but this I can still go to Europe and the far East, and I even went to Borneo a few years ago to headline a blues and jazz festival there based on their love of midnight at the oasis. so so I thank God every night i I sing it every night because my audience wants to hear it. it It made a lot of people very happy. and you know, I know so many fabulous singers like the singers in my black church or any black church for that matter. There are singers who can sing circles around me, blindfolded, who will never see the light of day or get a record contract or get to sing for a living like I've been able to do all my life. So in answer to your question, incredible blessing. I give thanks for it every day.
2: Davies and you're listening to Festival Nation where we celebrate the magical world of music festivals. Today we're talking with Maria Maldar, who grew up in Greenwich Village and started in the music scene during the 1960s. She would have been a candidate to go to Woodstock.
3: Well you know at the time it was 1969 was Woodstock right? Right, right. Okay, so my little daughter was barely four years old. My daughter Jenny, Jenny May murder. Jeffrey and I lived in Cambridge, Mass. Uh, we were still in the Question Jug Band. And the Question Jug Band at that time was uh, managed by uh, a pretty big time music manager and music biz mogul named Albert Grossman. He managed Bob Dylan, the band, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Paul Butterfield, our little jug band, Janis Joplin, to name but a few. Yes, so, Several of those acts were going to perform at Woodstock, and we had planned to go. He had told us, he said, it's going to be great fun, and he had a house and a huge house. So we had planned to go, but as the weekend started and we started seeing news footage of you know the cars backed up all the way to baltimore and uh, you know the whole big giant traffic jam that it was and so forth we realized we'd never get there in time driving and so then albert called and said i'll send a helicopter for you nice. and i thought i was very tempted but i thought i don't think this is a place to be bringing my little girl and trying to have a like a nice relaxed time it sounds like a lot more you know kind of a lot more of an ordeal than would be worth it so I I didn't I I thanked him for his kind offer but we didn't go to Woodstock and to tell the truth I feel a lot I never regretted it and feel a lot better watching the movie without being in the mud in the comfort of my own (laughs) home 50 years later
2: There you go. So I was wondering about festivals because, you know, you've been a musician. So you've probably spent most of your time backstage, I'm assuming. And hopefully you got more of the little bit more of the creature comforts. And now these days there's the VIP experiences. Do you still go, you know, now, of course, no one can go to festivals. And we never know if festivals are going to ever be
3: what they were. I know. Back in those days, the backstage, like we did the Newport factory folk festival every year and there was a backstage with some funky tents and you know it wasn't the amenities at that time were not that great but it was a little bit better than standing out in the rain in the audience but uh the newport folk festivals are one of the highlights of my musical life i got to meet all the great old blues singers and gospel singers and um Oh God. Uh Your heroes, it, right? All my all our heroes. They were all alive and well. Mississippi John Hurt. Sister Dorothy Love Coates and the Gospel Harmonettes. By the way, they re- originally recorded that song that uh Kat does on the on the album, um uh, Strange Man. That song came from Dorothy Love Coates, and it was a song that was a big favorite of uh, Donna Jean's, and she used to sing it live with the Garcia Band, and uh, and that's a a wonderful little bible story in, in a song as well but anyway i digress i mean you name <laughs> it not to mention that you know bob dylan was a was a friend of mine from back in the village days and we were right there front row and center the the fateful night he went electric that people oh were you still, were there for that oh my I gosh was,
2: that's that's legend right
3: yes and it, 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 the jug band had had uh, closed out the first set with our set and then the anticipation was mounting cuz Bob Dylan was just the, the king the king of the whole scene at that time and uh he had just heard the butterfield band uh play the the afternoon before they did a blues workshop because they were also managed by Albert Grossman so Uh, And Bob loved their electric sound. I mean, they had not just an electric sound, but an electrifying sound. And um, so we knew, because, you know, we knew what was happening, that Bob had spent the afternoon rehearsing with them in one of the houses. And so uh, sure enough, he came out. You know, the sound guy didn't know how to mix a fully electric band and there were no monitors in those days and right. and a- about half the audience started booing the oh. other half the other half that i was in started cheering wildly and then the a, a third i should say third were booing a third were cheering and then a third just didn't know what to think or what to do so it was a hugely electrifying Game changing moment in time, and I sure. was literally front row center. You know, uh, I just snuck out from b- backstage and grabbed a seat in the front row. And so, that's certainly a festival moment that'll that that did go down in history that I still remember very clearly.
2: Absolutely, we over the years you've seen festivals change, and now I mean, I don't you know even what to think about how it's going to change after this and if we're ever going to have a season this year in 2020 but is there is there something that you just love about festivals
3: well yeah that sense of calm rather for for a performer it's getting it's like a it's like a reunion you know like sometimes uh like for instance i'm friends with taj mahal just stay for instance i've known him for 62 years i just counted it up because it was his birthday the other day and so and we're we're dear friends but sometimes he's on the road all year i'm on the road all year and then and but then hey look we're booked on the same festival together so it's a chance for musicians of like kind to to uh, gather and get together and enjoy a little bit of of, of you know camaraderie and community
2: and some bonding time. You get, and you get to have some fun then.
3: Yeah, exactly. So so um, that's that that's all a good thing. Sometimes it's uh, um, now they have nice air conditioned motor homes for the musicians in the back and so forth, and the sound system is quality's gotten. Fabulous, and um, uh, you know, so all that's a lot nicer. My female blues singing, you know, sisters and I, we all always say we love the festivals, but what we dread is the porta potties. Oh, yeah,
2: the porta potties. I mean, they. They do kind of glamorize them a little bit backstage they and make them a little more better. fancy yeah, but there's but still a porta potty in you it's to really still look a at a porta
3: it. potty but other than that but I'll tell you what I think the kind of music I play is 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 all american roots music that was never really created or meant to be played in huge sports arenas so to tell the truth as far as performing I'm much happier in a much smaller venue, and maybe people, maybe part of the lesson of this uh, pandemic uh, episode in our in our national life here is just to appreciate things getting smaller and simpler and more intimate, and um, and just learning how to downsize. There's nothing wrong with downsizing and playing to a more intimate crowd. Yeah, you might have to do more. Gigs to make the same amount of money, but you'll you'll have more contact with the audience, and people will be able to enjoy each other on a on a more human scale. You know, uh, let me just tell you something. The way I look at it, I always try to have great bands. I comb the woodwork for the best musicians I can find, and we go out on the road. I'm out on the road a lot, and people, you know, I always endeavor to put on a as good a show as we can. So. Uh, I'm used to people coming up to me after the CD table saying, Oh, we loved your show or, Oh, your guitar player was great. Or I love your voice. You still sound good and And so forth. And, and, and that's always nice to hear, but since in the last three years or so, instead of people just coming up and giving me a general compliment on, you know, that they were well entertained, they come up to me and grab my hand and look me in the eye and go, "Thanks, We really needed that. Uh, you know, like, and it made me realize that how important the whole act of coming together in community to hear music together live how, Im- how how even more important it is in, in these days Instead, nothing you can look at all the youtube videos you want online and god knows they're helping to see us through now but there's nothing like like a uh, you know, a little, we roll into a little town and maybe we play a community center that has, that only, you know, that seats two or 300 people. And they're not only coming out to hear us, but they're also, it's nice to see them all coming out and greeting each other and going to the, you know, refreshment table or whatever this kind of music, this rootsy kind of music, it's not meant to be anthemic and played in a huge arena and with thousands of people and, you know, taking an hour to get to, through the parking lot and through the gate and through th- to the porta-potties and all that. Let's have smaller gigs if that's what it is. And there's all kinds of smaller festivals around the country that maybe, now it's like Coachella and all these Huge festivals. To me, it's overkill. To tell the truth, it's not user friendly anymore. It's not human sized anymore. It's it's over the top, and it's, big, um, it's
2: really big. I know. I went to a festival in Santa Cruz Mountains, uh not a la- couple summers ago, called the Mountain Soul Festival, and it was so nice. It was so chill, yeah. and you could just walk right up to the front of the stage and you know dance around and go back to your spot, and it was it was nice so maybe this whole thing like you said it will bring us all back kind of back to our roots and we we're all doing a lot of soul searching i think and mm-hmm. Maybe it will things will get a little smaller. Maybe it was just getting too crazy. I, I don't know. I mean I'm not yeah. a soothsayer well, but there's
3: no may- there's no maybe about that. Speaking in general, yeah, it was getting too crazy. So this I think is gonna bring things back down. I think people are gonna focus in more on what's really important in life. And Lord knows we all need music to, to it's medicine, it's healing. It it, it it uplifts our our hearts and souls. and so uh, uh, that's why I'm very proud of 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 this record we put together, spirit. This, the record uh, is
2: wonderful. Let me just tell everyone who you are, Maria Maldar, <laughs> everybody. Woo-hoo! So great to have you on Festival Nation. Yeah, And the new project, uh, the latest thing is it's called the Garcia Project. Maria is a producer on it and sings some wonderful harmonies. It's the loving tribute to Jerry Garcia and the spiritual songs he performed. And I, I can't wait to see you guys as soon as this is all over. Maybe, yeah, you know, we'll, I'll drive we'll, up to Mill Valley and see you at Sweetwater or something.
3: Yeah, well, we'll be, we'll be down in the Santa Cruz, San Jose area. Oh, as good. Well, playing this wonderful kind of music, a lot of which doesn't get to be on the hit parade, so to speak, at all. But yet all this grassroots music this roots music is alive and well and people continue to discover it and explore it and keep it keep it going so that's my mission in life and i hope i'm doing a good job doing my part
2: you are doing a great job maria maria moldar yes keep up the good work thank you so much thanks for all your beautiful music and uh, your wonderful inspiration. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. I loved right, all your right. stories.
3: Okay, and well, hopefully I'll you'll see play you soon. a lot of the music and get people to order the album online.
2: Yeah, and if you, in fact, you can get it online, garciaproject.com. So you can easily support this project by picking this up. Go online and get it, right?
3: Don't delay. Do it today. You won't be sorry.
2: <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to see you when you come around town. It'll be great okay, to meet you in person. Okay,
3: my Great talking to okay,
2: you. Okay, you too. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Right.
3: You okay. too. Bye-bye. Okay,
2: bye-bye. Thanks to singer and producer Maria Maldar. To support The Garcia Project, go to garciaproject.com and you can also pick up a copy of their latest release, Spirit a loving tribute to Jerry Garcia and the spiritual songs he performed. Here at Festival Nation, we'll continue to bring your festival updates and we'll be keeping the festival spirit alive by featuring shows about your favorite festivals. Please reach out and share with me your favorite festival memories. Just shoot me an email at festivalnationpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up on social, on Facebook and Instagram at Festival Nation and on Twitter at Nation Festival and check out all of our podcasts at the Pantheon Podcast Network at Pantheon Pods. Any music used in this Festival Nation podcast is owned by the artists and is used for educational and illustration purposes only. Thanks for checking out, liking, sharing and following Festival Nation on the Pantheon Podcast Network and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Talk to you next time. We will get by. We will survive. Peace.
1: Peace, love, and music. Thanks for being part of the tribe. From Marla Davies and everyone here at Festival Nation, until next time, tune
4: in, turn on. Hello, everybody. I'm Kyle. And I'm Matthew. And we're from Audio Judo, the music discovery podcast. If you're curious about new music or want to learn something new about old music, then start right here with us. Uh, Here's a little sample of what we do. And tonight we are talking about Pink Floyd's A Momentary Lapse of Reason. Led Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy Matthew and the Atlas. Hunky Dory by David Bowie. Yes, we are. Awaken My Love by Childish Gambino. Boston by the band Boston. Oh, yeah. I, for sure, was never cool enough to listen to the Smiths. (laughs) Like, I feel like there was, like, this weird entry fee that you had to pay in coolness. Have you seen the movie Less Than Zero? Yes. It kind of costs about that.
1: Oh, okay, good.
4: Um, Today we have a very special interview with a legendary singer, Fish. How you doing, Fish?
1: I'm doing fine, Kyle. Hello, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, just when I got a Skype call from Randy Valentine, it's like, you know, like yeah, they will tell that one to fuck
0: off.
4: <laughs> one of our listeners recently wrote to me and said that uh, he was referring to you and I. He said, I like the cantankerous Gen Xer meets a less grumpy millennial thing you guys have. <laughs> So that's it. If you liked, uh, liked a little sample of Audio Judo there, uh, please give us a listen. And if you love music, come check us out at AudioJudo.com or wherever podcasts are podcast.
1: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.